You're listening to TWN Champions, episode 22. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode 22. I'm Rebecca, and with me is, he's an old cow hand from the Bajoran wormhole, (laughs) it's Will! Reach for the sky, aliens. (laughs) Pew, pew. (laughs) Uh, Put it in the, put all the (laughs) latinum in the dollar sign bag. That was, that was a quick mashup. That's good. I'd watch that show. So, uh, have you been betrayed by any old El Paso uh, products lately? How are, you, <laughs> how are you doing? What are you What are you doing? I uh, do. We did. We bought three old El Paso taco dinner kits because we needed to make a bulk order. So I'm, I am pretty excited about that. And this is usually where I start my rant about how old El Paso changed their recipe for taco dinner kit in 2005. And I've thought about it ever since. It's still very good, but it was magical before 2005. Now, when you say they changed the recipe, do you mean the flavoring for the yeah. for the yes. meat seasoning? That's right. Okay. Because this is a common complaint for Will is how old El Paso <laughs> betrayed him like a bunch of cattle rustlers. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's very sad, but overall, our our impressions are positive about Old El Paso, yeah. which is good because what are we talking about today? On today's show, we're counting down our personal favorite takes on the cowboy archetype. I have four. Rebecca has four. It's a top eight. Rootin' tootin'. I mean, I just I was just gonna go right into it because we have so much cowboy lore to cover. I think but... so. I was I'm, I have to say I'm pretty excited about this one. This All is right. one of those that was like I was surprised to learn how much I like pirates. I was surprised that I like cowboys. I like I like all the grandma toy things, I guess. But uh, well, I, I really do like cowboys. I I do too, and it's kind of like disturbing when you realize <laughs> yeah. you're like, God, I really like cowboys. We're gonna figure culture. out why we like it though. Okay, I guess I kind of know, but then maybe I don't. We all, we always learn by talking. That's the <laughs> that's the best way. So we'll see what I think. Yeah, just say stuff until you're like, ooh, that sounded like something. I learned something from my mouth. All right, so what is a cowboy? I have for my definition that a cowboy is a gunslinger who delivers justice to lawless Old West towns and their morality may vary. Oh, that's very specific and good. That's very story-centric. That's right. I thought about that, okay, too. Okay, which is, which is important. It's an important distinction because we are going to be focusing more on fictionalized mm-hmm. cowboys and, like, the cowboy narratives. But, like, cowboys were and are a real thing, too. And in case you're just like, okay, look, I know cowboy, it's a hat, it's chaps, it's spurs that jingle, jangle, jingle. You know, it's all of those things. But it's like, what does a cowboy do? Here's here's some helpful explanation for those of you who are like, but what do they do? Mm-hmm. All right. There's a bunch of cows and cattle out there in the plains. And then a capitalist genius was like, let's sell those cows to people who need to eat them in other places. In New York City. In New York City. Them fancy men and them old men in Kansas City. And anyway... 
places where there's a city where people who like, I need meat and we don't want to eat rats anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or all the time. Anyway, so they're like, okay, well, let's round up these cows and get them to the railroad in, after railroad time and get them to market. And that's mm-hmm. what cowboys do. They help either ranchers or whatever, wild, wild cows, wild cattle, get to market. And this has been something that's been around as a real-life profession on the current United States continent and all of North America, I would assume, uh, since like the 1500s uh-huh. as a real thing. And I, I don't know if you said this already, but this is mainly we're talking about the Great Plains area yeah. is where we're doing most of the herding of the cows. And for my reading, like you said, it was throughout North America and even into like Alberta, Canada up there and that sort of thing. Yeah, too. like way up there. And I would, I'm, I don't really know, I don't know anything about like the cattle history of Central and South America, but I do know that our first cowboys were like in the 1500s and they were actually Mexican, the... Um, the vaqueros. Yeah, the vaqueros. They would drive cattle from like present day Texas to Mexico. So uh-huh. at, le- at least we know that like that that was a thing. So okay, yeah, this is a long and storied profession. <laughs> even though, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, there are fewer than ten thousand working cowboys. Oh, that's interesting. Today, to the you know. So you can sort of put yourself there. I had a little information about what going out with a cowboy crew would have been like. It was about twelve guys and a boss. And you had a cook and a supply wagon, and everybody had about six horses that they would change throughout the day to uh, follow the cattle throughout the range. And in the 1880s, you'd make about $30 a month doing this work. Mostly, you're just there for the freedom and the big skies and the cowboy culture, because there was lots of stuff like campfires and the romanticization of the vast open plains, all the possibilities that you had out there in the world, feeling like master of your own destiny. And uh, and that's how we get to our fictional cowboy, right? Because yes. of all the romance around cowboys. Yeah, and, and while there was like legitimate cowboy culture and they did write poems and sing songs, and there were like some real cowboy songs. He was vicious and a killer though fictionalized accounts of cowboys have kind of been around from that whole time that they've actually been around. And I think this probably started with the old Wild West shows in the late 1800s where they were romanticizing the life of cowboys and Native Americans. And, And then that really took hold in America in the 1920s when films started to write stories about a cowboy who has to face off a against a violent gunslinger who menaces the town. Yeah, which is interesting because I think cowboys have been a part of every medium that was there since their inception. And uh-huh. so that that was a story that did work well in silent film, like uh-huh, you just uh-huh. said, you know, because you, it was so visual and you could, I mean... This is the railroad tracks time people yeah, up and all yeah, that Yeah, it's the stuff. railroad track and there's the black hat villain uh-huh. and the white hat good guy. And so you could always sort of suss out what was going on. And then, of course, it really, really came into its own in the 1950s with, like, the films of John Ford, um, those those beautifully colored Western stories with these gorgeous, like, landscape shots. And some of the characters you would see, you know, by the time they made them into stories, this wasn't, Cowboy wasn't even really necessarily a an occupation. It was more like an Old West hero character, like often an, a sheriff. And uh, it's somebody who, like you said earlier, has a hat and a gun and a badge usually. Maybe they might even be like a U.S. Marshal or something. And they're needed because laws aren't as enforceable in the Western territories in the later 1800s. Yes. 
So yeah, lots of like loner, loner, but not the creepy loner, like a wistful romantic loner, uh-huh. you know? That, well, yeah, that's one of the things I want to get into also. Uh, a lot of these stories, the cowboys often have like a tragic past that explains their hard bittenness and their stoicism and maybe why you should be afeard of them being around a gun. And then before we move on into our countdown, I do briefly want to say that you can't talk about the cowboy without acknowledging that this romantic vision that we have of the cowboy is tied to American frontier times and westward expansion. And this is, of course, the period of history that starts to lay the groundwork for our very troubled history of imposing on indigenous populations. Mm-hmm. Um, skirmishes during this time with different tribes of indigenous Americans were common, and these were all written into the media. But weirdly enough, uh, even at the time, those relationships were kind of romanticized in lore. And maybe uh-huh. there were some bad stereotypes that started to come around during the Wild West show. But um, even if the relationships were adversarial, I feel like there was a lot of romanticization even about the cowboys and Indians trope because uh, native tribes were still operating autonomously without the interference of the U.S. government of, at the time. And so like even that plays sort of into these themes of freedom and living close to the land and personal autonomy, uh-huh. answering to your own moral code and all all of that. So, like, you know, it's, it's impossible to talk about this time without at least mentioning that this is a major factor. It's also worth mentioning that a not insignificant proportion of cowboys were Native Americans. Like, uh-huh. you know... Uh, about one in three were Mexican, which is which is something I didn't know until today. So I guess what I'm saying is that even if the aims of the U.S. government has always been colonialist and terrible, I don't think that that necessarily plays out in the lives of these people who lived through this portion of history, uh-huh. right? And the stories that, that are told about it. Um, I think that there is a great deal of romanticization and not necessarily even in a bad way. I do think that there were some sort of wistful threads of uh, can we all respect each other and get along? Uh-huh. And and perhaps there could have been a way that history would have played out that way. Well, one of the things I want to talk about with some of these picks, too, is the reason people move out west like to this cowboy life is because some people want a fresh start. And um, they think they can have a a better chance in a a place with rules that are yet to be formed. And in so doing, enabled the whole process, which is crazy to think about. But I mean, I really am trying to separate uh, the people and the stories they told from like the big machinations of history. Because I do think that it's dehumanizing to just reduce everyone to like this one big narrative thread which is the U.S. government is and has always been terrible. We get it. Okay, we, we know, right? Everyone's terrible. The man is terrible. <laughs> we all know. That uh, reminds me, I was reading some stuff about um, women who became cowboys. All right. <laughs> and uh, that really started for women uh, when they figured out a way for women to ride horses in a way that was ladylike. So we created the side saddle <laughs> as a tool for them to be able to ride horses in respectable public settings. I I always heard about riding side saddle and I always envisioned it to look very awkward, but I've never actually looked up to see what that looks like. Does it it look as stupid as it sounds? There's a, there's a great uh, Bugs Bunny cartoon. uh, I think it was a Halloween one with witch hazel and she's chasing bugs or somebody and she jumps on a horse. And then, you know, that thing where they pause and like break the fourth wall. She turns to the camera and she says, I ride side saddle because I'm a lady. And then she keeps going after him. So it looks like that. 
That that's <laughs> great. I'll need to I'll need to go back and look at that. Notice how I ride side saddle. It proves I'm a lady of quality. No, but I th- I think we get it. It's really interesting that you are steeped in cowboy tropes from your childhood even though you're not even exactly sure how we watched a lot of uh we won't pick this one we watched a lot of lone ranger in my house Uh um and i definitely had the little uh six shooter kit and the bandana and the mask and everything and i remember my dad was always uh teaching me how to do like the train robbery thing and he was like do you put them you say put them up and then and that you know because it would be a cute thing to get it kid to say but i tell him to put them up and then i start shooting when they put their hands up he's like you're not supposed to shoot you're not supposed to put the hands up it's like makes it easy makes it easy <laughs> will's a cowboy with its own set of rules and, and like i remember like okay i have known the song home on the range my entire life but i don't remember where i learned it mm-hmm. must have been somewhere but you know how you but it's just it's really just part of the 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 world that we live in. And okay, let me let me ask okay, you. If right. you're in the old west, uh what's the best what's the best job? You know, honestly the best job is probably going to be like storekeeper because okay. like you get all the stuff when it comes in. You're respectable. Yeah, and you're like what stuff can, do we have? You're like I got all the flour in town, you know, <laughs> like I can make hoe cakes. All yeah, right. So that's and probably the best, all right. best job. A good mustache job. Yeah. Um, I want to be probably the piano man, I think. <laughs> because uh, you get to be around all the action, uh, but they'll leave you alone. Because if they shoot you, it's like, he knows the one song we know. Like, he knows that one song. <laughs> it's lost us him. forever if, he, that, if he's I was, dead. Like, I was going to say, like, the worst that's going to happen is, like, a bullet's going to fly through your hat, and you'll just have a, bl- a bullet <laughs> hole through your hat. That's right. And that's your cue to duck under the piano. Yeah. Well, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and that's you. <laughs> All right, well, I guess we'll be doing well in the Old West. And with that in mind, do you want to start us off with your first pick? Number eight. Okay, I'm going to be telling you about my themes here, all right? This is one of my favorite cowboy types. After we had that really good history on cowboys, I'm going to talk about my favorite type of cowboy, the cowboy skeleton. Okay? Uh, yeah. There's a lot okay. you could choose from in yes. comics and pulp novels. But I'm going with a weird example where it was perfectly captured, but everybody on Earth forgot about it. These are the Ghost Cowboys from Blues Brothers 2000. Bluegrass. Riders. Duck. Give me a mountain tempo and A minor. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't. I I do not recall. Okay, well, okay. So I'm gonna back up and I'm gonna get to those. I love a good ghost cowboy. So why are there paranormal activities in the Blues Brothers? I'm gonna get to that. First of all, the answer, the simple answer to that is Dan Aykroyd's involved. Okay. And the second answer to that is. I feel like there are two types of ghost cowboys. You've got like the phantom who's like uh-huh. the normal ghost. He's kind of like the headless horseman and maybe they appear at a certain time of day and disappear when the sun sets or something. Um, I think like the phantom rider from Marvel comics was like that. And then you've got your skeleton cowboys. And whereas phantoms were like maybe tragic, mostly good cowboys, 
The skeletons were probably old outlaws, and they'll show up in a dust cloud or a storm and terrorize the town, and they usually have skeleton horses, right? So you, you I'm just saying this so you Naturally. can remember ones you've seen on TV. And I mean, I just, I think fondly of them always. Me too. I, I like them a lot. So if you think about it, um, cowboys are good fodder for ghosts because they're probably gunned down too soon, and they probably have a tragic romance. And so there's just so much about why you could love these. But anyway... When you think of cowboys, you think of the Blues Brothers. What? <laughs> it Naturally. Does, but, but it does kind of make sense when you think about how they put the script together. Because when they made the sequel, Blues Brothers 2000 in 1998, they didn't try to change the formula too much. So the way it works is... I'm still trying to get to skele- Skeleton Cowboys. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Okay. Uh, at one point, they realized they were accidentally booked at this stadium for a bluegrass show which is like that original scene from the 1980 Blues Brothers. Yeah, Bob's Country the- Bunker. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they play the one uh, rock beat country song that they have in their set. And for this movie, they chose Riders in the Sky. Ghost Riders in the yeah. Sky? I love that song. Me too. So that's an amazing song. But then, hang on still. But why do they write the exact same scene in both movies? Look, they did that a lot. They updated all the... You know, you know like the new... Star Wars first movie. It's sort of like that. So there was a scene where Ray goes to the swamps of Dagobah and Yoda wants to eat her rations. He does go to a swamp at the end, okay. actually. They, and I don't remember. I don't remember Star Wars. I don't know. Okay. But they so, hit the same beats as the first movie and they just updated it. It sounds like they hit in the same beats very hard. Okay. But I do love Ghost Riders in the Sky, so we'll just think about this song. It's a great song. Well, I was going to say, I think you were telling me not too long ago uh, about the guy who wrote it. Do you remember the, like where this song came from? I can remind you if you don't remember. <laughs> I say so many things that I couldn't possibly remember. <laughs> This was a guy who was like a, a park ranger, but he had had sort of like a Old West background. And anyway, he was working for some um, Hollywood scouts, like giving them a tour of the area. And they decided that while they were in the mood, cowboy mood, they wanted to hear a cowboy song. And he was a songwriter. And so when they were out there, he uh, played this song for them and they loved it. And so, you know, they were sort of his access point to sort okay. of get it publicized. To, to stardom. Yeah. To cowboy stardom. Yeah. So the, yeah, I know you remember some of the lyrics that you like a lot. I, I thought that song was an instrumental. I really don't know the words to Ghost Riders in the Sky. <laughs> I just um, I just think of it as the like a guitar duet. Well, that is, that is the cool part. But they talk about a red-eyed, steel-hooved cattle thundering across the sky. Oh, Jesus, those all, lyrics are awesome. I should have been paying attention. Being chased by spirits of damned cowboys. Okay, so it occurred to me that, like, maybe I know the chorus was Yippee-I-O, Yippee-I-A, Ghost yeah. Rider in the Sky, but I didn't know there was anything like that in there. Yes, and the point of the song is if the cowboy doesn't change his ways, he'll be doomed to join these riders in the sky. That's amazing. Forever trying to catch the devil's herd across these endless skies. That's beautiful. Okay, so, like... I feel that a lot of people probably don't perform the lyrics because it's so dark. Maybe so. It's cool. And they're like, we need to do this on Hee Haw. We got to we gotta tone this down for the family. <laughs> yeah, you probably hear a lot of guitars doing an instrumental yeah. version. But it's a really cool song. So anyway, in the movie, Blues Brothers 2000, uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Goodman are singing it. Because thankfully, the bad Belushi brother couldn't be in the movie, so they cast John Goodman instead. Much better. 
um, and it starts to rain in the middle of the song, and then this rift opens in the sky, and these corpses on skeleton horses come galloping out in the rain, and it looks just like the original Ghostbusters effects, like, you know, like the ghost in the cab and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And, uh... This at, sounds great, but very confusing. Well, I was going to say, at the time, Dan Aykroyd must have been dying to get the Ghostbusters property moving. Uh, and so, because this looks straight out of Ghostbusters. It is so tacky, but it is so cool. And for the movie having so many problems, this is just a really fun thing that I always remember. I just love the way it looks. It looks really scary. I bet, and I believe you, and I agree with you, but that, like, if I were there helping them punch up that script, I'd just be like, what the hell, Dan? They just let Dan Aykroyd do what he wants to. He always needs an editor. He's a genius who needs an editor. It also <laughs> sounds like I probably should watch this movie at some point. Well, they do catch up with all the old um, 80s band members, and it's pretty hilarious what jobs they have and what their spouses are doing. Like, is it Mac that has to get permission from Aretha Franklin to leave the diner? Um, uh, Matt Guitar Murphy. Yeah. 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 I think he, I think she is running a really successful call center and he has to get permission for her to get off uh, the call centers because he hadn't met his quota. That was really funny. That's very cute. Um, okay. And- that's very cute. <laughs> but like, what is this movie even? So anyway, I would say go back and watch this movie, at least for the performances from like all the big, uh, big music stars. Like I said, John Belushi's brother is not in it, so it's safe. And Dr. John kills it at the end. It's super weird. You're like, why didn't I get to be on the first one? Yeah, we never talk about Dr. John, but he's kind of like the flaming lips of like blues music, I guess. (laughs) That's a good description. (laughs) Yeah, he's about on that level. I'd be surprised if he and Wayne Coyne had never met and liked each other. That seems about right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So anyway, great song. Um Great people in the movie. Just a great project. Well, I'm going to say it's a great movie, but I just feel real good about this pick. I just feel really good about it. Fair enough. Number seven. This should be fine. We'll settle in here for the night. I don't know, man. Last time I was here, they weren't too welcoming outsiders. Yeah, you're with me this time. Everything's gonna be all right. introduce a relatively new member of the cowboy pantheon Uh and that is Lil Nas X oh that's a good idea it is a a good pick okay he is firmly in it too he is okay all right now you're like okay do I know who Lil Nas X is yes you do because you definitely heard his 2019 mega hit Old Town Road yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride. 
too. All right. So a couple years ago, he was working just by himself independently in a genre, like a very niche genre called country trap, which is a thing. It's like, you know, sort of country flavored hip hop, doing all the hip hop production with some little like, like flares, country flares and twangs. Okay. All right. So on his own, he managed to get his song Old Town Road to number 19 on the Billboard Hot, Hot Country Songs chart. But then Billboard was like, wait a minute, this song isn't country. It's not country enough. Uh And then that took off on social media and everyone was just like horrified and indignant Uh and mad because Lil Nas X's very excellent song should have been considered a hot country song. So what did he do? He got a remix and he got Billy Ray Cyrus to come on and sing the hook for (laughs) Old Town Road. And that version went on to peak at number one on the Billboard Hot 100, Mm -hmm. the big chart, and stay there for a record-breaking 17 weeks. At number one, the song that everyone knows, every old person, middle-aged person, and child in America knows they're going to take their horse to the Old Town Road and ride till they can't no more. (laughs) This is a brilliant cultural moment for reasons why I will kind of explain, but Uh then also it should be obvious, okay? And also, can I just mention as a sort of a side note, I just think it's like very beautiful poetry that Billy Ray Cyrus's legacy has been so thoroughly cemented at this point, Uh like in a novelty, nonsense, mega hit capacity. You know what I mean? You're talking about achy, breaky heart. Of course I'm talking about. No, listen, on this podcast. My cousin and I used to sit on top of the uh, stairs and swing our legs and scream, achy, breaky heart. So I feel like if you were not old enough to remember Achy Breaky Mania, I would say I feel sorry for you, but I don't because it this was one not, of your school bus jams. This was like this was a song like when I think of the song Achy Breaky Heart, the 1992 mega hit by Billy Ray Cyrus, I think of it being screamed by a school bus full of children. <laughs> yeah. I think about that, and they're all obviously like East Tennessee children. It's like don't tell my heart, my Achy Breaky Heart. They all sound they all sound like that. It's a whole chorus in my head hated this song at the time because it's ridiculous but i really appreciate it now because we had to learn how to do a line dance to it in gym class my gym teacher it was like the second song that she ever learned after highway to the danger zone (laughs) and she got into achy breaky mania and bought a a single so we could dance to it in our gym class like it was a phenomenon all right sometimes i danced too hard in my gym class and i broke some rhythm sticks (laughs) (laughs) well you just got a lot of passion look thriller come on i gotta do (laughs) Your artistic expression could not be contained. And I'm just saying that this is just like a very beautiful legacy that Billy Ray Cyrus has left us with because his second flirtation with success was also a massive, weird, bizarre mega hit that just defies all logic. But then you understand in retrospect how it took off. There's a great video where I think Lil Nas X just realizes the ridiculousness of what a cultural icon he is. If you go look up the performance he did for that elementary school. Yes. Holy yes. crap. Search that is Lil funny. Nas X elementary school. That was hilarious. The, the highlight of it is at one point, the kids are screaming his song back to him. And just the sight of that is so ridiculous that he just has to stop singing and starts laughing. Cause he's like, what is my life right now? <laughs> and then at the end, as if it can't get any better, he throws out a bunch of stuffed animal ponies at the kids and they just lose their minds. It is a pretty great video. Now, having a stuffed pony that Little Nas X threw to you, I think is probably like <laughs> going to be a highlight for a lot of their childhoods. Yeah. And so this is an important moment because this is going to be a lot of Q 
kid's introduction to cowboy culture uh-huh. for this whole new generation of kids. And that's very cool. And, um, n- you know, not only is it bridging cultural gaps, it's gaps between very narrow genres. And so this is this beautiful cultural mashup that's wonderful. And now that Lil Nas X has come out as gay, he's like an LGBT ambassador and being mm-hmm. like America's number one cowboy uh-huh. currently. And I just welcome it. So, you know, it's, it's near the bottom because he's new. But I just hope that he has a, a long career ahead of being a cowboy that we all know and love. Me too. Horses in the back. Number six. Okay, if we're going to have a cowboy, we need to bring a bad guy to justice. And we also need a cowgirl. So I'm choosing Maddie Ross from True Grit, the novel and the two films. Yay! And I'm especially talking about the 2010 Coen Brothers movie, which was much better than the 1969 John Wayne movie. <laughs> Just objectively. <laughs> it's it's hard to say, you know, because everyone who are like our parents' age, of course, they grew up loving John Wayne and like his whole shtick was very near and dear to them. But we kind of figured out how to do it better in, in subsequent generations. <laughs> the Coen Brothers okay. movie was uh, more like the novel. What do you want, girl? Speak up for supper time. Let me do this. Your makings are too dry. I'm looking for the man who shot and killed my father, Frank Ross, in front of the Monarch boarding house. The man's name is Tom Cheney. They say he's over in Indian Territory, and I need somebody to go after him. What's your name, girl? My name is Maddie Ross. We're located in Yale County. My mother's at home looking after my sister, Victoria, and my brother, little Frank. You best go home to them. Maybe we need help with the There is a fugitive warrant out for Cheney. Government will pay you $2 for bringing him in, plus 10 cents a mile for each of you. On top of that, I will pay you a $50 reward. And, but, so this is the story of a 14-year-old girl, played by Haley Steinfeld, who wants to bring her father's murderer to justice. And to this end, she hires the meanest deputy marshal she can find, an old one-eyed guy named Rooster Cogburn, played by Jeff Bridges, to go after the outlaw and to get some help from a ranger, played by Matt Damon. <laughs> And the thing about this movie is, this is a Western movie, but if you're imagining tons of horses and gunfights, it's still mostly a Coen Brothers movie, uh, meaning it's mostly a dialogue movie. Oh, yeah. It's just a lot lot of long, hilarious conversations, and particularly Jeff Bridges' courtroom scene, where he has to defend killing, like, his 15th person uh, in pursuit of an outlaw, and it is one of the most hilarious, deadpan, drunk guy things you've ever seen. I do like long, meandering, crazy speeches in films. That is one of my favorite things. I believe you testified you backed away from Aaron Warden. That's right. Which direction were you going? I always go backwards when I'm backing up. <laughs> also, we were talking about this earlier. Uh, you do kind of have to put uh, Haley Steinfeld's pop career in the back of your mind. Um but this is a really great role and a great character, and she does a, a fine job. I had completely forgotten that she ha- did other... I didn't put together they were the same person. It happened several years later. That's like that's what... Um, I, I feel like the last time we talked about this movie, I just think like, oh, I really do remember enjoying this film. But like since then, she was like, I want to be a pop star. And I'm like, no, you've got a niche. Stick with it. She, uh. was, she was so good. That was working so good. She also chose good roles because... Um, you know, the Transformers movies have not been great, but Bumblebee was a pretty good movie, and she was great in it. Like, <laughs> I thought she was picking really good parts. She was She was also in that Ill, ill-conceived Ender's Game film that oh. like, was as good as that movie could have been. She was doing picking, like, smart girl roles. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's it's okay. It's okay. Um, but you Reach know, what, for the stars, do your dreams. My point was, this was such a good character, and and she did she did do it justice. But it's such a good story because the world is set up for this girl not to get justice. She's fourteen. She's a woman. She doesn't know anybody in town. She has no money. And she has to apprehend this outlaw before the ranger gets him because she doesn't want the outlaw to be tried in Texas where he won't be hung. And so uh, you really, really get behind her motivation. And so you see her do all these grit, gritty things because she has true grit. Like um, she does a bunch of like really uh, cool horse trading to raise money to hire Rooster Cogburn. And then she relentlessly tracks down um, the marshal across this uh, river and she's ready to use a gun and she gets a cool hat that she can fit in with the posse. It's really cool. You got the whole, whole shebang. It's just one of those like few great stories where the kid actor carries the movie, but they're not precious and they don't look like they came from a casting call. Yeah. Um, and that's really important. I mean, cause it, it'll just take you out so fast when it you've will. got a kid that just reads like he reads for casting calls. Yeah. That'll really spoil a film or a show. So anyway, this is just a, I think just a great old West story. And one of these where you get all the conventions of uh, Western and of cowboys, but it's centered on like a real person. And so you really understand their motivations. And so for that reason, it's just a great cowboy story. And I think one of the best Coen Brothers movies for me personally. Yeah, this is a good uh, um, go back and stream it film if you haven't watched it. It's a great one. It's a really good movie to watch. Number five. I'm excited because I've wanted to talk about this on our show several times, but it's not been appropriate till now. Uh-huh. So I'm going to give you two sides of an important coin. That's Tex Hex and Marshall Bravestar from Bravestar. Oh, interesting. Okay. I was thinking about this for honorable mentions. Okay, and this is why we haven't we haven't talked about Bravestar yet, really. Like I think we may have mentioned it one time on the, the He-Man podcast. But this was Filmation's last series, and it was a space western that aired, like, late 87, 88. Okay, Marshall, I'm a-calling you out. I'm gonna freeze you so hard it'll take a month of Sundays before you're warm again. You talk, Big Tex, but you're all bluff. The idea for this story actually started when um, Filmation staff was making bad guys for the real Ghostbusters cartoon. Okay. And they invented this this character, Tex Hex, and one of the producers was just like so enamored with this character. They're like, please write a whole write a whole oh. treatment around like around this particular that's, character. That's interesting to learn because one of the guys I wanted to talk a little bit about in the honorable mentions um, is from uh, one of the two Western, Old West, real Ghostbusters cartoon episodes. Oh. I bet I know the exact one this one came from. But interesting. T- tell me. We'll get a little more like just like bullet points here. But um, so Lou Scheimer wanted that done. And then Bob Forward, who you remember from doing a lot of the good the She-Ra good She-Ra's. stories, yeah. uh, fleshed out sort of like the, the guide and eventually co-wrote a feature film script for Brave Star, The Legend. And this story takes place in a planetary system called New Texas. This is a planet where there was an element called Karam. And then there was like civilization built there to mine it. And it's like depleted and probably like not being mined anymore. So it's kind of a ghost town, but there's still settlement on there. And our main dude is Marshall Bravestar. Mm -hmm. A galactic marshal. This is, this, there's so many like 
excited kid brain uh-huh. button ticking things here. His thing is that he has spirit animal powers and his ancestry is essentially a fictionalized version of Native American uh-huh. mashup cultures. Um, and of course, nowadays we wouldn't do that. And if we did have a character who was inspired by an indigenous uh, American tribe, they would probably invite the creators to come and write and perform the character. But, mm-hmm. you know, but, but at the time that still wasn't being done. But um, he's a really cool character. And um, his deputy is a bipedal robotic horse who's like really aggressive and is like his bro, but then also he's got to talk him down sometimes, which is hilarious. Uh, You won't be surprised to learn that this is one of Scott's, our friend Scott's favorite characters, is the over-aggressive talking horse. (laughs) His name is 3030. Be careful when we get there, 3030. You haven't tested that turbo booster yet. (laughs) I wouldn't dream of hurting those poor little cranes. Yeah, so Tex Hex, a little bit about him. So he was a scumbag prospector, and he looks like it. The character design is just hilarious. He's got, like, this green rootin' tootin' jumpsuit with, like, what looks like a bandolier X across his chest, although Mm -hmm. it's not really. And he's got, like, what would be a skull for a bolo tie, but no tie. He's got a cowboy hat. He's got purple skin and red eyes and this really creepy, gross, white, long hair, including like a white separated mustache that's uh-huh. real long. And he's just I mean, he's just a ridiculous character, even though at times during the series, there is some flirtation with the fact that he could be redeemed. But his deal was that he crash landed and he got like magical powers. And of course, he's the he represents the greedy capitalist who who ruined the, the land mm-hmm. uh, because he was there to mine carrium. No one beats Tex Hex. I don't need no hex maker. Take this. And so it wouldn't surprise you to learn that um, a lot of the episodes maybe have like a bit of an environmental subtext. And Uh that's really why I wanted to pick this because, okay, it's a space Western that that in and of itself is great. There are these really neat, well-drawn, bizarre characters, like way cooler and more complicated, I think, than they had any right to be, right? And um, I do think that the show deserved a little more time in the sun because it was just such a bonkers concept, (laughs) but a cool one at that. And this was also, I mean, it went away just at the wrong time before it would have taken off because this was just right before Captain Planet. And I'm not sure if we've ever talked about that, but Captain Planet was hugely popular, but a real turd of a cartoon. It really was. It was not not good. good. It was not good. And this one really could have, like, taken that place. I think that it's really important, especially nowadays, where, like, we need more narratives where people care about the land and are close to the land. Because we are not helping ourselves without retreating the earth right now. And I do think that Marshall Bravestar was a very cool character kind of like kind of doing that. And it's also no coincidence that a lot of um, indigenous tribes now are like some of our greatest environmental activists in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, like think about the, the Keystone XL pipeline, yeah. which is currently still blocked until 2021. And we'll see what happens with it then. But we have groups like the Cowboy Indian Alliance, which is like a coalition of tribal members and ranchers and landowners who keep coming together to do things like stop people from moving in and and killing everyone in the land with their poisonous, poisonous pipeline. And it uh, does sound like it does sound like straight out of a plot from uh, 
a space cartoon. It does <laughs> because it is, and it's like we we have to, we can't be acting like industry doesn't harm the earth. You can picture a guy twirling his mustache like, mm, don't that green gas smell sweet? Exactly. <laughs> and I really think that I feel like we're due for a reboot of Brave Star with like indigenous creators because I think that would be it awesome. would be cool. And like they, they're they've got real life stuff to draw from, and so anyway, I just think that these are both these are just great characters, and I just feel like we've not given any love to Brave Star yet, but yeah. we really should. It was a cool cartoon ahead of its time. If they do reboot it, maybe me or Scott can be the horse. Yes, well, let's, uh, <laughs> you can you can write a spec script, and then we'll let Scott do a a, a horse voice. <laughs> Number four. Okay, this one this one's good to follow up the one you just did. For my next pick, I wanted a space cowboy as well. Well, well of course, of and course. There were a lot to choose from for this one, so I went with the most cartoonish one I could think of and still love. This is Bluegrass, the pilot of the spaceship Mirage for the Silverhawks. Hey, we haven't talked about Silverhawks either. Mm-mm. Yeah, we have exhausted the minds. Uh, I feel of like '80s cartoon nostalgia. Just every time you think you have. There's tons of stuff we've never even talked about. Yeah, that's true. Know? Yeah, I've, I can still think of two or three big ones, but yeah. Podly metal, podly yes, that incredible, that incredible theme song. Yeah, Silverhawks was a great show. I watched it as a girl. I'm surprised. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, it was on it like I was. It was one of the after school cartoons, and I remember oh. I remember really liking it. That's funny because I was gonna say this was a great property with some great character designs. I had the toys, but it was very hard for me to find on TV where I was. I don't know why. Anyway. Uh, it is about the space police who transformed into bionic people who are partly metal, partly real, so they can travel at light speed to fight an alien mob boss called Monstar from taking over the galaxy of Limbo. That's great. I'm pretty sure this is where Claudio from Coheed and Cambria got the name. I am absolutely certain that is where he got it. And he like forgot about it or he yeah. was like, no, nah, I'll just go I'll with just it. have it. It's I'll fine. Just, it's fine. And you know it's what? Fine. I like them both. It's, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Take it. Take it. So Rebecca was singing the song. If you didn't see this show, you know the fantastic theme song. It's it's just got that those silvery harmonies and it's just so cool. Remember they had the little kid character? I do. And he talked like metallic. Yes. And he had a little pitched voice. So I had my first harmonica around that time. (laughs) And I used to talk through my harmonica and I'd tell my sister, I'd be like, look, I'm I can't remember the the, copper kid. Yeah, the copper I was like I was like, hey, listen, and I'd be like (laughs) (laughs) And I I was like, I'm him. That's funny. Yeah, so if you want like that's just like a tip for you. Go get your harmonica out if you if you got one. Will, we have one, don't we? We do have a harmonica, yeah. I is think it, it's is it in the I great, think it's key of A. Is it in the great is it in the great Ottoman with the guitar accessories? No, I think it's in the room that the cat is in jail for. Where right is now. it in that room? It's in the little basket, I think, on the shelf. <laughs> okay. Uh, so kudos to you on knowing exactly where a harmonica was. <laughs> I do. I don't know where any of our food is, but I know where the harmonica is. <laughs> It's like, Copper Kid, what's the third planet from the sun? <laughs> that must have been how they did it. That must have been how know. they did it. I don't know. They had some kind of... Okay, I'm done. I'm so, I'm so sorry. 
I think we'll all understand why that was important to do. Well, that is the copper kid. That was the copper kid. And if you don't, but if you don't know bluegrass, then you probably know the sweet guitar part from the theme song where he's got that uh, really shred-tastic solo. He's country, but he likes to shred, I guess. So Look, don't we all? All okay. the Silverhawks have gimmicks, as you're slowly learning. There's like the Superman guy who's the leader. There are some twins, and there's a kid from the planet of the mimes. Don't let that distract you. Okay. That's the copper kid. Okay. He doesn't talk. He does harmonica. And there's, <laughs> and there's Bluegrass. And Bluegrass is the pilot for their Hulk-shaped spaceship. He has a ridiculous country drawl, and even though he's covered in armor, he has a cowboy hat, a bandana, and a futuristic guitar that he calls Sideman. And it can shoot musical laser bolts. Uh, that's just, he's out there living my dream life and I don't know how. Also, he can connect to a piloting system that he calls Hot Licks. That's real. <laughs> that's a great piloting system, It name. is. He has to name everything to be cute on the ship or whatever. Like, can you just call it the piloting system? No, Hot Licks. That would be so annoying if you were on a real spaceship with somebody who did that. Especially if their theme was not <laughs> compatible to, like, your way of thinking. You're just like, Really? <laughs> Especially if it was like nautical or, you know, like just something like that. I was thinking you you need the sink. Like, you mean the spittoon? Yeah, or just be like, like, I'm going to go put it in my storage trunk. It's like, you mean David Jones locker? Like, no. (laughs) No, I don't. Prepare to launch. Ready. I wanted to have something to say about the Space Cowboy. I mean, the obvious things you would think of apply here. This is the idea of the frontier just writ large. And the Western always works well with the space stuff for this reason. It's a place with looser laws and more danger and more opportunity and uh, more to explore. And as absurd as bluegrass is, I think he keeps this show from being a generic superhero show. It's like how you know this show is a space Western. Otherwise, it just looks like a bunch of superheroes in space. And so I like him for that reason, too. He really, really keeps them in- anchored in the in the Western world. And the final thing to say about bluegrass is what you were talking about earlier, is at the end of all the episodes, they would do one of those, like, he-man educational things. But instead, he'd give, like, uh, an astrology Astronomy. Astro- <laughs> Astronomy lesson. To, Astrology uh, would have been more fun. To the copper kid. <clears throat> and it was great. Uh, but I have to say, Bluegrass's accent makes me skeptical. Skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Venus is the closest to the sun. Is that right, Bluegrass? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> George Washington was the first alien. <laughs> Okay, at number three, how we get here so fast? We're just, we're just busting through them. I have to do like like one of our old, like our pillars, okay? Uh-huh. And so for that reason, I have picked Roy Rogers. And I picked him because he was the most famous of the singing cowboys, which was mm-hmm. totally a thing. Um, he wasn't a cowboy, but everyone knew him as one because he was an actor and he started singing on his radio show he was in variety shows he had he was in tons of films in a career that spans like decades here's roy rogers there was the boy in arkansas who couldn't listen to his mom when she told him that he should go to school 
He'd sneak away in the afternoon, take a little walk, and pretty soon you'd find him at the local auction bar. Is there a restaurant called that? There is, and it was one of his business ventures. Okay. So, yes, and it's still around, and I assume his estate handles it or whatever. But, yes, that is the very same Roy Rogers. Because if you were going to be a star in America, not only do you need to be the most famous singing cowboys, you also need... Uh, a restaurant where you can have fixins a fixins bar. That okay. was so. That's the thing about Roy Rogers re- restaurants. I just looked this up. You would like get a burger, but unlike other restaurants where you have to tell them what you want or don't want on it, you go to the fixins bar at Roy Rogers, oh. and you could like get whatever you want on. You put whatever you want on your burger. I think some people at Chipotle think they're at a Roy Rogers because they're like a little bit of lettuce. Like no, you get what you get. Yeah, and since uh, we haven't completely transitioned to online only ordering at Chipotle, you just think about them and all the micro droplets just going against their mask, <laughs> trying to holler at the person at Chipotle. Yes. Are they taking in-person orders at all now? That sounds terrible. I don't know. I'm going to lean over the glass and tell you what I want. It's so gross. Oh, you know what restaurant I'm worried about right now? Is whatever restaurant Hulk Hogan owns in Florida. <laughs> I, bet, I bet that's a dangerous place to get pickup. <laughs> Here you go, brother. <laughs> I guess he didn't doing it, but he might. Anyway, I don't know. Tell me, about, tell me more about Roy anyway, Rogers. Roy, okay, so Roy Rogers, his real name, his his birth name, not his real name. His birth name was Leonard Sly because you know what Roy Rogers was his real name. Okay, that's a he, pretty cool name, but for like a dirt bag or something. Well, yeah, and he was born of the very humble roots in Cincinnati, Ohio. You know, he just happened to be like good at singing and stuff and wanted to get into showbiz like you did back back then. So it was suggested that he could take like the western sounding name Roy and then pair it with the surname of the popular western comic entertainer Will Rogers. So oh. he was he was no relation, but it was just kind of like, "Hey, Stake your, you know, like stake your name by having the same name as that guy, which I love. That's funny. I love the, okay. So here's why I'm, I'm picking Roy Rogers, a well-loved singer and entertainer, often appearing with his wife, Dale Evans. And first of all, they were an adorable pair. So I'm just going to say that, like, that's reason number one. They were an adorable pair and they frequently appeared together. And it's really funny because Roy Rogers singing style was very much in the tradition of like crooning and he had this just lovely baritone and he was you know like he was kind of a crooner a cowboy crooner but his wife when you look at Dale Evans she looks like a little Sunday school teacher and sings like one too (laughs) and so like I think it's kind of funny that they're kind of incongruous on a stage together but they were just together like peanut butter and jelly and it was just this they're just the twin flames, and it was just so wholesome and adorable. Uh-huh. And it's really not hard not to feel warmly about them. The other thing that I really love about Roy Rogers is the same thing that I loved about Vampira when we talked about vampires uh-huh. all those years ago. All those years ago. I love the fabrication of a good persona. I love the conscious creation and mythology of the self that you're going to do. It's not just like, oh, it's my stage name and I'm an actor. Like, no, nah, you kind of become something bigger than that than that persona allows mm-hmm. for, especially the longer you go on with it. And I just find that really charming and fascinating. A you lot know, of the Star Trek captains had to come to terms with that. Um, <laughs> Probably. I, I, think, I think both uh, Shatner and Patrick Stewart 
had a little bit of hard time transitioning to understanding, no, it is, it was an important role and it is a part of me. I'm not going to separate myself from it. And isn't that fascinating too? Because I know in William Shatner's case, it was because he fancied himself a leading man and, and, and like the leading man and not James T. Kirk. Right. And in Patrick Stewart's case, I think it was more because he fancied himself an actor right. and like I can like I can bring any role to life. Yes. <laughs> it's like did you know I can do King Lear? It's like <laughs> yes, we do know. Yes, we have. Yeah, we oh, know. God. We know Picard. Okay, I'm going to throw in an honorable mention here. Remember he did that TNT original movie, uh King of Texas. It was King Lear set in the Old West. I don't remember Isn't that, that interesting? but that's a great honorable mention. Okay. All so right. so let us mention it. so that's amazing but anyway I really do just I mean I just really love that and um I think that Roy Rogers like he just had such a as just everything about his bearing was just so sweet Uh uh-huh and um it's like a sweet Johnny Cash maybe yeah, he was. It's like Johnny Cash is a wild like, man. Something about him in June, you know. Yeah, if Johnny Cash and June Cash were like uh, the Sid and Nancy of country, right? Then I feel that Roy Rogers and Dale Evans were like, you know, they were the real Paul sweet and Linda, couple. Maybe Paul and Linda. <laughs> they were the real sweet couple. Yeah. Um, but like, I I love how one of the best known and most looked up to figures for this whole generation of like American kids who grew up watching, you know, Roy Rogers with. Trigger, his Golden Palomino, and Bullet, mm-hmm. his German Shepherd, and his wife, Dale Evans. Um, I just think it's hilarious that it's just somebody from show business. And it just really drives home the point that the stories we tell are really important to us and helping us define our values and find our best selves. And mm-hmm. I would never think to... Um, I would never think to belittle that process just because someone's a silly singing cowboy. Like I just, I think it's a sweet and noble profession Mm -hmm. and I'm getting emotional. So, okay. (laughs) But anyway, Roy Rogers, gotta love it. Sold to the man out there in a straw hat for 55 bucks. Number two. To be a good cowboy, you need a good motivation because you have to know why they're grizzled and loners and why you believe they know how to fight. That's why a lot of times these are stories about people moving to the frontier to leave tragedy. Sometimes it's personal stuff, and oftentimes uh, it's about things they lost in the Civil War. But here is the ultimate starting over story. This pick is a former slave. This is Elam Ferguson from the AMC series Hell on Wheels. Yay. Featuring two Star Trek alums. Yes, I do know that that is a Cole Meany's show. Yes. He's Cole, I, oh my gosh, yeah. He plays the evil railroad tycoon. Yeah, Mr. Durant. Does he? He's the railroad tycoon. <laughs> uh, because he is a railroad tycoon, can I just say, I read this, I don't know if it's true, but it was funny to me. One of these trashy websites that talks about celebrity encounters, somebody said they met Cole Meany somewhere, and they were just like looking at him, because like, is that? Chief O'Brien from Star Trek. And then he looks at them like down his nose and says, yes, I'm an actor. <laughs> that, that sounds about right. And so that's like, it's like, I didn't say actor. I said Chief O'Brien. <laughs> so, yeah. I have to say that Chief O'Brien is one of my least favorite characters on Star Trek. He was, is a great role in Deep Space Nine, but still. Sure. And also, and, and also, Anson Mount, who's the lead of Hell on Wheels. Now, I'd love me some Anson Mount, yes. though. He's Captain I mean. Pike in the Star Trek Discovery. Did you know that Anson Mount was the male romantic lead in the Britney Spears movie Crossroads? I guess I'd forgotten that. I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't read. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he was, 
that age then, because he's about our age. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't kind of look it. It's, it's interesting. He's a little older than us. He just, like, he's always cowboy age. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's the age of a cowboy. But I'm going to talk about Elam from uh, Hell on Wheels. Um, yeah. His... Screw you, Colmini. <laughs> what are we talking about you for? <laughs> and his story is that after the Civil War, he decides to get a job on the Union Pacific Railroad to see what opportunities he can make for himself. And he's played by the actor Common. He's got, in the role, he's got like a full beard and a derby hat and vest and eventually a pistol. He just, he has a great look. Um, so anyway, Elam does find some opportunities there. But of course, like all good cowboy stories, there's drama because problems follow you into the frontier. He just left slavery, but he's working on a rail crew and he bristles at taking orders from the walking boss, who is the main character cowboy of the series, Anson Mount. You ready? What you mean I'm ready? I can't even hit the dang tree. Well, I'm just gonna have to get in close, Ann. Trick is making sure the other man has to reload before you do. What are you smiling at? You imped. My name is Elam Ferguson. You be sure to tell the devil that when they ask who killed you. And so Cullen Bohannon, the walking boss, um, eventually develops a friendship with Elam, but it's also pretty contentious. But uh, the whole series is about them trying to find ways to work with each other, to help each other find opportunities and solve their different problems. But there's a lot of friction um, because, among other things, Elam finds out that Cullen Bohannon used to actually own slaves. And so that's something that comes up a few times in the series and about where they yeah, are. Yeah, that would definitely be something you would you would uh, have to bring up <laughs> mm-hmm. more than once. She's like, by the way. Yeah. And uh, their friendship, though, is like really fun to watch because it is real and they do get mad at each other a lot, but they always come through for each other. And um, a lot of times Elam will do what he thinks is the right thing to do in the situation. And he doesn't care what the rules or expectations are. And it makes life very stressful for Cullen Bohannon. And that's always really funny to watch. And there's like this pretty funny uh, little YouTube clip somebody made uh, of like Elam going off and just like, like, I don't care. I'm just doing the right thing. And then Cullen going, Elam. (laughs) <laughs> like a million times. It's really funny. That's so funny. <laughs> so I thought it was, it was cool because we get so many caricatures of cowboys, which I love, but this is like a real dude and it does not make it any less dramatic. It's a better story because his motivations are so raw. Like this guy has the ultimate wanting a new start story. He is hungry for it more than anybody else. When he finds love, it means more than any of the cowboys finding love. And I saw some interviews where Common was talking about the responsibility of doing this role because there were really people like this who fought and lost their lives during that period. And one of the things that really struck me when I was watching the show was like the really difficult, torturous balancing act he has to do to choose whether to fight or whether not to pick this battle so that he can advance and fight another day but the sacrifices you have to make to stomach it and and not fight like does that going to cost you your dignity is it is it worth it you know he has to do that all the time oh yeah and um so you just really root for him and i guess finally i was just going to say i think the series also does a good job of helping you understand what the appeal of the old west was like even as like disease ridden and rough as it was you know when you have like institutional problems in your country, like a debate over 
something as evil as slavery, um, a place where there are no laws uh, can sometimes on the surface seem like a more just place to be. So you understand where common would yeah, the, would be going. Yeah, the corrupt civilization. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so you, you know. see, you know, the railroad being civilization as they lay more track, they start running into more and more of those old problems and have to negotiate with them. So it's just a great series. And talk about another great theme song. This is one of those when it comes on. In the <laughs> that's Turn. Oh, that's Turn? That's another great one. Oh, this is wait. the one with the... Doo, doo. What's that, what, the beat of the train at the beginning? Yeah, but what's the words of it? It don't have words. Oh, okay. It just has violence. Listen. That's fiddle. Listen, everybody. Turn in Hell and Wheels. I think they are. Of a piece? Yeah. So, this is just, in my mind, I have it classed as theme songs that are good. Because I want to write a song that will be used as a theme song uh-huh. for some, like, period drama. I would love to write Snakes in the Garden. It's not a hard thing to do. I can do it. It's on my bucket list. I'm just saying. So I'm just saying if you're out there and you're going to film a prestige drama about a railroad town, call me first. (laughs) Okay. You can have the song for free. It'll come. You know, I just, Um, I just want to be the one to write it. On on Rebecca's new album that's coming out soon. Actually, there there are probably two or three songs that will work very well for that. I'm just saying. (laughs) Visit KingGarity.com. Well, actually don't yet because I don't have any relevant call to actions, but the site has stood up. Yeah, it's it's happening. It's It's happening. happening. It's happening. Snakes in the Garden. Wrong show. Not the show. (laughs) Hell on Wheels. A good show. The train show. (laughs) All right. Before we name our top cowboy, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. And we already said... The King of Texas. The King of Texas. <laughs> I'm going to say Cad Bane from Clone Wars. Okay. Because he just looks cool. You were talking about the Ghostbusters uh, episodes that inspired... Uh, uh, Tex Hex? Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think it was the episode about Black Bart. He looks just like that. He's got like this like troll face and he rides on like a Zool thing. That sounds And he's great. got uh, skeleton riders with him. I'm sure that's um, where it came it from. It was really good. It was a really good episode. Um, and Slimer gets a little bandana in the episode. It's very cute. Very cute. Um, Roland from the Dark Tower, obviously. I'm going to say Commander Data from Fistful of Datas, the episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, Pushing it. Pushing it. And uh, somebody from Galaxy Rangers. We'll leave it at that. Okay. And then to that, I would only add Cowboy Curtis <laughs> from Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> so who's your number one cowboy of all time? Number one. All right. While we're on the prestige dramas, you know, we couldn't go one more minute without talking about Deadwood. So my number one pick, I give you Jane Cannery, a.k.a. Calamity Jane, as portrayed by Robin Weigert on the HBO show Deadwood. Yeah, she's so good. She's so funny. What you got in that suitcase? Millinery samples. If it concerns you at all. Millinery samples, ain't that just perfect? Some women take the trouble to make a decent appearance. Well, for your information, Mr. Millinery Sample Suitcase, you're staying in the former room of someone you ain't fit to lick the boots of. So, so on the surface, hilarious, right? Because, so this is a character, obviously a fictionalized version, based on a real-life person who was also a larger-than-life kind of person 
in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Calamity Jane was an associate of Wild Bill Hickok, and she was an actually early person to participate in Wild West shows because uh-huh. she's like, I'm going to capitalize on my fame, you know, get it while the getting's good. And she was kind of a wild woman, man about town. She had a lot of, she had a lot of stuff that she did in her life. <laughs> But I'm really going to focus mostly on this fictionalized rep- representation from Deadwood. Oh, also, I did look it up. Uh, Calamity Jane in real life did do some oxen herding. So she was technically a cowgirl oh, cool. at one point. Also a prostitute. But uh-huh. there should be no stigma in sex work. That's a conversation for another episode. All right. So on the show, on the show Deadwood... Uh, Jane Cannery is the town drunk and she's a real unpredictable figure. And as you said, first of all, she's hilarious surface role. Like, like on, on the surface, the role is very, very comedic. Um, and a lot of her scenes are written for like comic relief because she's always great at busting the tension with like her drunken yelling. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she is really, really funny. And of course, like her dialogue is so laden with swears in a show that already is that I managed to find a quote for you to use on this where she only says one mm-hmm. in like in a line. Like it's, it's, you know, she's just constantly going just foul mouthed, filthy, hilarious, imposing figure. I, I've tried to think like she has this great way with language. Like somebody at one point, like, uh, farts or something, and he says, like, "Sorry, uh, the beans always act up on me." And she says, "I have that self same problem." <laughs> <laughs> so, but she's really noble. I mean, she's so, and that's and that's the thing. It's like deep inside, she's good at heart, which the show does obviously show that several several times. And the choice on the show, I think, was to really highlight that her nihilistic and self-destructive tendencies were born out of this really big capacity to love Mm -hmm. and then get hurt Mm -hmm. easily. So this is someone who is just hurting on the inside really, really bad and just has this beautiful vulnerability about her. If you know, if you watch Robin Weigert on the show and then you see her in real life, it is hilarious how good she is at facial and body acting. Yeah. Because the way she holds her face as Jane Cannery is just so one of a kind. Like she screws her mouth up really tight. <laughs> And um, she also makes squints her eyes all the time. And she holds her face like this. Like she is looking askance at every single person <laughs> just throughout the whole show. Because if you see her on well, a red swear engine. Yes. Like Charlie Edder. Like yeah. if you see her on a red carpet, you're, you know, like this is always the thing with actresses. Like, oh, she's really pretty in real life. Which is like, sounds insulting if you're like, oh, she's really pretty. But, like, she holds her face so differently on the show for the character. Well, then she's, it's just excellent she's in, acting. What's the show that we call Big Old Liars, but it's called something else? Pre- uh, Pretty Little Lies? Yeah. She, Wait, hang on. Big Little Lies? Yeah, that's it. Pretty Little Liars is a show we've never even watched. Right. Big she, Little Lies. Yeah, the, the Meryl Streep when She plays the therapist. Oh, um, right. You forget. I forgot so she was the So that's another face she has. Yeah, and so, um, I mean, like, again, this is a show that's just lousy with good acting, obviously, but she's, as, I don't, they're all so good, it's yeah. ridiculous, except for the theater troupe. They're all terrible. <laughs> okay, and so, in a lot of ways, she's number one because she's an anti-cowboy, because the cowboy narrative that we love is one of, like, contentment in roaming. Here, her roaming is to find love that may or may not await you somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Which is very romantic. It is very much a like that is a cowboy thing. Like there will be love waiting for me somewhere at the end of the line. Like you know, 
actually that's in the theme song from Rod. <laughs> but you know, or you know, to find good in people that sometimes is there and sometimes is not. And, um, you know, like a cowboy might be very much uh, acting according to his rigid internal code. Although I love what you said about our number two pick, um, just constantly grappling like between what you think is right and your own dignity and and just having to always fight that, Mm -hmm. like fight those impulses. But she's just a mess of contradictions. And she's just a very messy human version of the Mm -hmm. cowboy, which is why I think that she's just number one, aside from it just being a great, well-drawn character. Um, And just a reminder that all of us is, uh, I mean, we're all a mess and (laughs) we're all struggling all the time. And, you know, most human strife, I really do believe this, is born out of hurt. Um, so it's just our job to help each other hurt less. And it's it's a beautiful character. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to cry again, so I'm, I'm going to try not to get emotional. But, like, <laughs> yeah. seriously, mm-hmm. it's a, like even for a, uh, a character who's meant to be funny more than half the time and is hilarious, there's also just such heart there. And it just... Yeah, like we talked about Dan Doherty's, like, loyalty to Al. Uh, you also see that with her in uh, Wild Bill Hickok and yes. that sort of thing, too. Very similar, actually. And then her loyalty, but then also great annoyance by uh, Charlie Utter, yeah. their mm-hmm. other associate, uh-huh. who I also love. I Whatever. Well, and, and, it's a great show. And in the movie they did, um, she, got, she got a good ending, I think, so. Yeah, so anyway, that's... That's it. That's all there is to say. <laughs> all right. Well, that was a very thorough list. Yeah, I, we, 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 <laughs> we rode the range hard. We saw we a lot did. of sights. We did. Now it's time to say goodbye. Like, I don't we should do a cowboy song at the end. <laughs> Sometimes I would like to go over some of the things that occurred to me when we were doing these. And one, one of the ones that occurred to me was um, a lot of uh, my feelings about the cowboy depend on how good their motivations are. So I really get behind the ones where I know why they are taciturn and I know why they are dangerous and I know what's like eating them up. That makes a really good cowboy, I think. Yeah, and I would say that anyone who wants to adopt any of the iconography of the cowboy or anything about it in a shallow way is like a dumb and it's like I don't care Kid Rock may have done a song called Cowboy but he is not one well that's a good point because I was just going to say one of the other things I figured out was I really like the cowboys that don't roam all the ones I like are the ones who had to do something had to make that stand in town or do something <laughs> sometimes you got you can't run away for yeah, your problems so and, and often they don't sometimes they don't even look like cowboys like you know like Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> That's true. He could have been number one as well. Hey, Timothy Oliphant himself could have been <laughs> it because he is born a cowboy. Timothy Oliphant's mustache. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you've got all the justified people. That's right. I forgot about that. Uh, That's so funny. Well, so if you have thoughts on this or your own suggestions for cowboys, email rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or hit us up on social media and we might share some of your thoughts on the next episode. Well, where can people find us? You can find us on Twitter or Instagram or visit our website at thewizardsnightshirt.com to find out about this show and our other shows like Curdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy series. And I want to say I appreciate it. I see we're still getting some pretty good traffic on our um, Halloween special. And we wrote it that way. To make, I, I think you can listen to it at any time. I so, think so, too. I, I appreciate people recommending and listening to it. Um, you can also find a complete archive of our Masters of the Universe review show 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call forth new champions. The legends they tell of a hero facing